Good morning. And happy Christmas Eve, Eve. Merry Christmas. And for our Messianic friends, happy Hanukkah. So, some of you guys will catch that. If not, just talk to me afterwards. We'll clear it up. So, um, we are finishing up. Well, not finishing up. That's a lie. We actually have uh, several more sermons in our Tis this season. We have two more. One of those, which will happen tomorrow evening. So, please come back at 6 p.m. tomorrow on Christmas Eve. So, we're in today we're talking about Tis the season to be grumpy. Tis the season to be grumpy. So, I, I'm not the most Christmassy guy. Uh, I'm just going to be completely transparent with you. Honestly, I look more forward to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's my holiday. Christmas, to me, is just stressful. I mean, we have all these gifts we have to buy for people, and then, I'll be honest, I don't know what to buy people, so people end up getting gift cards, and then I buy them a card, and they're expecting some sort of nice, like, written message, and you're getting a Merry Christmas and a smiley face from Craig, you know, and l- let's not talk about, like, all the Christmas movies that are out. And by the way, if you didn't know this, Hallmark, like, produced 31 Christmas movies this year alone. And if you've never seen a Hallmark Christmas movie, it's the same movie over and over and over again. It- it's guy or girl moves to big city. Suddenly their job is very hard, so they have to come home and visit their small town where they run into lost love, unrequited love, who is now someone in the town. And if they really want to hit you in the fields, they throw in a kid, and then, say it's a miracle, they get together in the end. I just I just now have written every Hallmark Christmas movie you've ever seen. So, and personally, my favorite Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. <laughs> Hands down. That is the most happy, jolly yippee ki Christmas movie I've, I've ever seen in my life. And some of you guys think I'm being slick. It really is my favorite Christmas movie. And, oh, Christmas music? Okay. It's not supposed to be played until Black Friday, and it stops January 1st. I'll allow for it a week in July for that Christmas in July thing, but the rest of the year, no, no. These are the rules. These are hard and fast rules that we need to fight for. If you vote for me in November, I will make... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I'm not that super Christmassy guy. So some of you might think that I'm grumpy. But if we learn from what Pastor Eric taught us in the first sermon, someone who's a little bit of the bigger sort is often seen as jovial. So you have to see me as jovial. Some of you guys will catch that. If not, go back and listen to that sermon. It's in this series called Tis the Season. So, some of you guys are just not catching it today. I'm okay with that. I don't know. So, anyway, so, Tis the Season to be grumpy. Um, So, as we're talking about this idea of grumpy, like I said, some people have determined that I'm a a grumpy sort. Really, this is just my face. So, and and to to say that, honestly, I was out with um, a friend, and we were actually at Chipotle eating, and we were talking because that's what you do in between bites. And this guy, like, overheard us talking. And, of course, we were talking about, not of course, but we were talking about church stuff. And the guy walked up to me in, in our table, and he's like, I'll be honest, when I came in, I saw you guys sitting over here. He's like, man, this guy looks like this, like, crazy biker dude. And he's like, I walk over, 
I walk past you, and I hear you guys talking about church stuff. Are you guys Christians? And I looked up, and I'm like, crazy biker dude. I didn't say that, but. So. And it, obviously, it had to be me, because the other guy was clean shaven. And I don't know why, but biker dudes are all bearded. I don't. I don't know. But it's perception. That's really what we're, I want to get down to today, is this idea of perception versus reality. I, I really think that we've run into a moment where perception versus reality has become a problem for a lot of us because we take our, our lives and the lens of our lives and we look at reality through that. And because we use the lens of our lives to interpret reality, sometimes we misinterpret what's going on. Sometimes we don't actually see reality because, well, one, because of the misinterpretation, and sometimes we misinterpret on purpose because we don't want to see the reality of a situation. We don't want to see what's really there. So we blame our perception for what's going on. And that's kind of what I want to talk about as, as we look at this idea, excuse me, this idea of, of grumpy. Tis the season to be grumpy. We're going to be looking at John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And this is kind of our leap-off point. Uh, we are, I'm going to be jumping around. The three Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, and John, teach the same passage um, in a little bit different way each. And so I'm going to be picking verses out of each of those, but this John chapter 12 Verses 1 through 8 is going to be our leap-off point today. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet, the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance, fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this an ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? <coughs> Sorry. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used, to he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, she what, so that she may be, okay, leave her alone, so that she may keep it, for with the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. So, first grumpy, as we look at this, is why the waste? Why the waste? When we look at this passage, there's, there's an idea going on. It says, in 12.5, it says, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And in Mark 14.4, the disciples actually said, There was some of them who said to themselves indignantly, indignantly, man, I can't talk today, why was this ointment wasted like this? They, so some of you might be thinking right now, 300 denarii, I got 300 denarii in my pocket. No, you don't. The 300 denarii is a, the equivalent of a year's worth of wages. So this ointment that she used, th this perfume, it wasn't cheap. Like it wasn't just something like, was no, you know, Jacquard Noir type stuff here. This is really good stuff. And sometimes perfume would actually be passed down from mother to daughter because of the expense of it as an heirloom. And so this was, it had value. The spices in, in making ointments and fragrances of this were quite costly and had to be imported. And because of it, so there, was there, would there would be people that would actually buy these as investments. You know, it's not like Bitcoin, but it's something that they would buy as an investment because they could use it to barter because in the open market you, they knew this fragrance was worth this and that and so 
they could barter back and forth, but it had great expense. But I want to catch something here. When they're talking about the indignation that the disciples spoke and, and Judas actually spoke forth, the word used in the word that Mark used in the Greek expressed anger. Like they were angry. And not just angry, but like violent displeasure. Like we're talking like the idea of clicking their tongues like, like oh my gosh. Like they were really upset that Mary would go about taking this perfume and break it open. They were grumpy about it. They had seen the situation, and they didn't understand what was going on. Spurgeon wrote this, and I thought it was kind of funny. I, Charles Spurgeon wrote, I shall always feel obli- obliged to Judas for figuring up the price of the box of the costly nard. He did it to blame her, but we will let his figure stands and think more of her the more he put down because of the account of the waste. I should never have known what it cost, nor would you either, if Judas had not marked down and it marked it down in his pocketbook. What Charles Spurgeon is trying to say here is this idea, this this nard, this ointment, this fragrance that Mary had used, we would have just heard that. But because Judas was so indignant, he's like, Oh my gosh, that's worth three hundred denarii. And because he wanted to shame her, because he wanted to really make make it stand out that this was expensive, that's why we know what the cost was of the ointment. And I think, and I want to come back to that idea, so just remember how expensive it was. Now they're not grumpy. They're not grumpy for this. Instead of saying, "What's why such a waste, what worship? Such worship. John chapter 12, verses 3 and 7 read like this. Mary therefore took a pound of ex- expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped her hair with his feet. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Mary took a a pound of very costly oil, very costly perfume, and anointed the feet of Jesus. And in the midst of summer, Mary gave a remarkable gift. It wasn't unusual to wash the feet of a guest when they came in. And we've talked about this before, this idea that back then they didn't wear comfortable Nikes or Adidas or Under Armour. They had sandals. And they walked, and it was dusty because the roads weren't paved. And they had animals, not cars. And animals poop. And so feet were dirty all the time. So when you would go to visit, especially when you were honored as a guest in a home, they would make sure your feet were washed. And that's what she's doing. She's washing the feet. But it is unusual to actually wash the feet of someone during dinner. And before you get the image of Mary crawling under the table, like little kids do at a restaurant and being like, oh, Jesus' feet, you know, you have to understand in ancient Near East, they would eat in a table about two to three feet off the floor in which they were laying on the ground and their head was towards the table and their feet was away from the table. That's what the tables were set up with. They weren't set up like our tables where they're, you know, up high and you have a chair or a bench, and you slide in. That's not how the table is set up. So when she walked up, she would walk up behind him, and she would have seen his feet and anointed him that way. In Matthew, the passage that Jesus calls, in the Matthew, Jesus calls what she did a beautiful thing. Jesus calls it beautiful while the disciples called it a waste. What she had done was a good work, a beautiful work. In the Greek, there are two words for good. There is agagoths, I'll just go with it, which describes the thing which is morally good. 
And then there is Kalos, which describes a thing which is not only good but lovely. A thing might be a gallows, but it could be hard, stern, or unattractive. But a thing that is Kalos is winsome and lovely with a certain charm upon it. What Jesus, the reason that they chose the words is they were trying to show that while it was morally good, it also was morally beautiful. It was an opportunity. This was true worship. This woman, Mary, had taken this opportunity to really bless Jesus with her actions. It was so costly. It, it, cost prob- it could cost possibly everything she had owned. Her anointing Jesus with a bottle of expensive perfume was an expression of her love and devotion. And the permeating fragrance filled the home. And as I, I kept thinking about the wording, it said that the fragrance filled the home. The fragrance filled the home. I thought back to the, the things that I studied in the Old Testament. When it would talk about the burnt offerings that would be offered on the altar in the temple. And oftentimes it would say that the fragrance of those offerings would go up to heaven. And that there would be a pleasing aroma. And I thought about that as this idea that I, I, I don't know if the gospels were the gospel writers were specifically tying that to this, but here was this offering that she was making, and it was such a beautiful offering. The aroma, the fragrance filled the home. It wasn't just something that happened in one room. It happened in every room because of what she had done. And I just I like that idea of, of, of this smell, this beautiful smell filling a home. When Mary finished, she didn't look to the disciples and ask their opinion of what she had just done. And we should raise above the, the dependence upon man's opinion. She wasn't, and I'll get into this a little bit later. I might be jumping ahead of myself, but it's this idea that Mary did it not so other people would be like, oh, Mary did an awesome thing. She did it because of who Jesus was. So our, our next grumpy, what about the poor? What about the poor? John 12, the last part of 5, first part of 6, and then verse 8 reads, given to the poor. Judas said this, not because he cared about the poor, for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And Jesus said that. <laughs> this made me think of the Simpsons. And some of you guys are like, Craig is really off his meds. Um, no, I, I thought about the Simpsons because there's the pastor's wife, wh- there was this running gag where something would happen in the town, and the pastor's wife, who was thinking of the children? But what about the children, she would say. And I thought about this here where they're like, what about the poor? Who's thinking of the poor? And the, the idea, the mention here of the poor is a natural association because, remember, this happened six days before the Passover. And w- during Passover, uh, Jews that would celebrate would actually take a night, normally the night before Passover, and actually go and give specifically to the poor of the community. So the fact that they're coming into the Passover season, the fact that this is right before that, this idea of, even though Jesus had ulterior motives, still tying it to the poor, the idea that this should have been given so that they could honor the poor, was actually a real connection. The not grumpy idea. What about the poor? And some of you are like, Craig, you just said that. Yes, I did. Some of the disciples might have been motivated by righteous indignation, but Judas was a thief. But Jesus revealed their distorted view of what was happening in front of them. Jesus did not say this to discourage the generosity and kind treatment for the poor. There are moments for one-of-a-kind, unrepeatable acts of devotion to the Lord. Mark chapter 14, verse 7 reads like this, For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. You see, the words here 
is Jesus is not offering an excuse not to do something for the poor. He's not giving them an excuse, well, I have to give something to Jesus. What Jesus is trying to say here is, in this moment, at this time, what Mary did, what Mary gave, was of great importance. And like, and like I was saying, in the, like I read out of the one commentary, sometimes an extravagant gift of this nature is a one-in-a-lifetime experience. But what Jesus wanted to remind them is this idea that you will have the poor with you. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11 actually echoes this idea, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. You see, Deuteronomy is written in the Old Testament, and these are instructions for the Jews as they enter into the promised land. And this is about how they're supposed to interact with one another specifically, but also with those in the land that they're going to be taking. God is giving them specific instruction, and he's saying, there will be poor in the land. It's your responsibility to do something about it. And as I was thinking about this passage, I, I started thinking about this past year. I started thinking about, well, just recently, the fires in California. I started thinking about this, this, the floods here in Millville. I started thinking about the hurricanes, the tornadoes. And that's just the natural disasters. I started thinking about things that happen in our lives, people losing jobs, people losing loved ones, car accidents, drug overdoses. These are all disasters that are happening around us. And we have a responsibility to take care of the poor around us. And that doesn't always mean the poor financially. That means the poor in spirit. That means the poor spiritually. And yes, it does mean the poor financially as well. But we have a responsibility, if we call ourselves Christians, to lift those around us up. We have a responsibility to be a blessing to others. And like I said, it doesn't always have to be a financial thing. It has, it has to be something from your heart, though. You have to be motivated by love. Because we will always have those around us that need to know love and grace. And I really think that's what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples in this moment. They're like, the perception of what's going on here, you guys are looking at this through the wrong lens. What you're not seeing here is how awesome a gift Mary just gave and what it is saying. And when you want to deflect and say, what about the poor? You'll have the poor tomorrow. You'll have that opportunity tomorrow. But will you take it? Or will you just use this as a speaking point or a talking point or something to post on Facebook today to make yourself look like you care? But are you going to care tomorrow? Are you going to care in two weeks? Are you going to care in a month? It's really what we need to do if we call ourselves Christians. So our last grumpy today is Judas. And our last not grumpy is Mary. I combine this last point together because I really want to just, this is what I really want to jump on for the last few minutes. It's Matthew 26, verse 13 reads like this. Truly I say to you, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in her memory of her. Mary offered her best to Jesus in a sacrificial love. Judas was coldly utilitarian. Jesus interested him only as a ladder for his ambitions. As I was reading the one commentary, I, I really, it, it kind of reminded me of this, this idea of really Judas w was a truly a snake in the weeds, um, a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
This happens towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus had, had said some pretty strong things to this point. And most, a lot of the disciples, like we know about the 12 disciples, but a lot of people followed Jesus. And Jesus had said some really hard things, had really said some things that really challenged the people. And a lot of people had quit following him. And yet Judas, who really had no intention, really had no love, decided to keep following Jesus because he saw an opportunity to use Jesus. And we later see that he does use Jesus in quite a horrible way. Mary's gift was remarkably unselfconscious, meaning she did something that was extravagant, but it was extravagant in more ways than what we think. The gift itself, extremely extravagant. The oil itself, super, but she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, the women of this time would not keep their hair down. In our culture, it's very common for a woman to have their hair down. But in Jewish culture, the hair would not be down. So for her to go in public, to take her hair down, and then just think, and some of you guys hate feet, but just think of the fact of putting your head so close to someone's feet that you're actually able to clean them with your hair. Do you know how submissive that type of posture is? Do you see how humbling that is? I've been uh, in church most of my life, and I've been a part of several feet washing ceremonies or services. It's quite an experience. To want to have someone wash your feet, yes, in public, it's odd, but in a small group setting, to have someone wash your feet, it's kind of, I don't know how to express it properly, but it's odd for me. Because to have someone touch my feet, despite how I feel about feet, but to actually, and I'm not talking like they got down there and scrubbed with, I'm talking just pouring water over my feet. But for them to, and we do the whole thing, take off your shoe, take off your sock, put your foot in the bowl, pour the water over it, and then they would dry it. And then they would do that with the other foot. And then in the services, they would then put their hands on, on, their, on my feet and pray. Man, that is an experience that kind of hits you in the feels because this person has taken something and made an extremely intimate moment with you. And you actually lose the idea of those around you. At least I did. And then I've also been on the other aspect. At first, when you're going and doing this to someone else, there is a gigantic self-consciousness that, that kind of jumps in your mind. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm kneeling at some dude's feet, and I'm taking off his shoes. And you're like, what am I doing here? What happened? And, of course, because I'm me, I'm like, what happens if his feet stink? Like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm like, <clears throat> you know? But, again, it's an extremely intimate moment. And when you're washing someone else's feet, there's a connection there. And when you're praying for that person, there's a moment that's purely yours. Now here, Mary has taken this, this ointment, this fragrance, this perfume, and she's poured it over Jesus. And she's drying it with her hair. Man, talk about the intimate nature of that situation. Now when you flip the coin, you have Judas. Judas is a selfish, selfish man. And, you know, we click our tongue and we talk how evil he is. And we learn in this passage for the first time in a scripture you don't read anywhere else. It talks about that Judas was a thief. 
Judas had somehow earned his way where he was the money keeper of the disciples, and the dude started taking money out of that and putting it in his pocket. And I'm not thinking that Jesus was living very lavishly, or the disciples were, and yet here this dude was taking what little money had been offered and was putting it in his own pocket. And because he was so coldly selfish, Judas was so, so about himself that when he realized that, hey, things, things are coming to a head, how can I best work this for myself? He decided to go to the Pharisees and sold Jesus over to them for 30 pieces of silver. And some of us are like, man, Judas was a really evil dude. I'm not saying that we are exactly like him, but how often have we traded an opportunity with Christ for something else? How often have we done something that that we've done or we know that we should do, and instead we traded in for something less? And as as I was thinking about this and I was coming to the, the end of this and I was thinking, Craig, this doesn't sound very Christmassy. In fact, you're talking about Passover, which, you know, is Easter. So we're going to be celebrating Christmas in a little over 24 hours. And as I was thinking about this, let's think about what's really going on here. Let's think about the story as a whole. So this is what I'm just going to recap it. Recap it sorry. The story of Jesus is Jesus at dinner at the house of Simon the leper. And he was there with Lazarus, with Mary, and Martha, and the disciples. And we don't know how many other people were at this party, but there's this party, and it was held in the honor of Jesus. And so while Jesus is there, Mary is there, and she comes forth, and she presents this gift, this jar of a very expensive oil. And it's not just, when we think of this perfume, we think, of, we think of the bottles that we have that we can put caps on or, or we can close, but an alabaster jar in which she used here, you have to literally snap the neck of the bottle. So it's not like you're going to save it once you open it. And you pour this whole entire bottle out. She offers this dramatic gift. She offers this, this thing, this present to the Lord, and Jesus is truly honored and blessed by it. So as we think about Christmas, think about this gift when we think about Christmas, think about Jesus was born. Yeah, let's not talk about, like, people get into argument about when Jesus' actual birthday is, but we have this tradition that we celebrate his birth on December 25th, and we celebrate the fact that he was given to us as a gift. Because without him coming and without him living and dying on the cross 33 years later, when we celebrate Easter, we don't get the gift of eternal life. It's not there for us. And as I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about this idea of what can we do? What gifts can we give to honor such an incredible gift that he's given us? What can we do? I started thinking about Christmas again, and I, I started thinking about this silly Christmas song, Little Drummer Boy. Sorry. The gift that the little drummer boy gives. First off, let me make a joke. If you ever listen to the song Little Drummer Boy, he has magical animals that keep time. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I had to make that joke. I'm sorry. But he gives, he plays a song. 
He plays a song. And it's not a true story, I'm sure, you know, but he plays a song. He's so overwhelmed in the situation. He doesn't have anything else to give. And he plays a song. You should be so overwhelmed this Christmas with Jesus. Mary was so overwhelmed in her moment that she took something of so much expense, a year's worth of wages to buy, and she breaks it open and she pours it on his feet. So overwhelmed because of he raised Lazarus from the dead. So overwhelmed he made her family whole again. And so he, she gives something extravagant. We should be so overwhelmed that we should look for that opportunity. We should look for that moment. What can I give to God? And I'm not saying that you need to go out and give a year's worth of wages because that's why I brought up the little drummer boy. It doesn't have to be extravagant in other people's eyes. It needs to be extravagant in your eyes. It has to be something that comes from your heart. It has to be something that you cannot just give every single day. And how are you going to honor God? How are you going to be less grumpy and honor Jesus this holiday season, this Christmas season, this opportunity we have? Again.